0: I'm glad you're here. We're going to start. Um, this is uh, one, of the, one of those rare rare talks that actually has a title before it starts. So mm-hmm. I'll just uh, tell you, um, it's, I'm calling this um, uh, "Making an Opening Between Worlds," and uh, it's all going on at the beginning of, of this week's parsha, uh, Vayera, and uh, which describes. Something quite quite amazing, but it's it's easy to read over since it sounds like a a fairly innocuous uh, description of a scene. But you'll see, there's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount contained in this uh, one line, which is that uh, Abraham, our father Abraham, is sitting at the opening of his tent in the heat of the sun, and he sees three three men um, who are actually angels. He doesn't know it at the time, but in fact, it, they appear, it says, as idol-worshipping Arabs. So, just in case, you know, you wondered what he was saying, that, that's what he was saying. And um, Abraham runs out to, uh, to greet them and to give them hospitality. So, what I'd like to do is just zero in on the opening of, that, uh, of, that, um, of the Parsha which is Abraham sitting at the opening of his tent, and to try to get into the depths of that, because it's really, it's really quite amazing. So, in order, to, in order to understand this, the first thing that we have to, uh, to do is to go back to the Garden of Eden, and to understand um, the first chesed that the rabbis teach that was done in the entire Torah, the first kindness. The rabbis teach that, that the entire Torah begins with a kindness and ends with a kindness. What's the first kindness that was done? That's when uh, Adam and Chava were exiled from the Garden of Eden. Hashem clothed them. And He gave them, um, uh, it says, leather garments. Right? Katniss to or And the Torah ends with the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu by Hashem Himself. So that's the chesed, that's the kindness that ends the Torah. And everything is bookends. So, so, so let's get into it. We're going to focus on the first thing, which is this notion that, that Hashem clothed Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, when they left the Garden of Eden. And you'll see how all this ties back to the idea of Abraham Avinu sitting at the entrance of his tent, and we have to throw in one more detail: after his bris, after his circumcision, right, which is you know the cutting away of that skin, and he sees angels. So all of this is going to come to explain that. So so what does this mean that that Hashem clothed Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, with 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 these with these leather garments? Now. Interestingly, this word um, katnasor, or or means skin, and it's spelled with an ayin. Ayin vav resh. And you know, ayin is kind of a funny letter, because it's silent, and there's another silent letter, which is the letter aleph. So, or, it's spelled or, if you spell it with an aleph, it means light. So it either means skin, or it means light, with an aleph, which is the other silent letter. And it says uh, that Rebbe Meir, in the margin of his Torah scroll, wrote the word with an aleph. So, in other words, Rebbe Mayer is giving us a hint that there's a lot of... In other words, he didn't change the, the, the spelling of the word in the Torah scroll itself, but he made a side note tipping us off that there's a lot going on with that word. Now, now what's going on? So, let me. it's working on a lot of different levels... Let me give you the most basic level, and then I'll tell you something that's really way out, okay? The basic level is like this. That, that when Adam and... You see, Adam and Chava, when they were in the Garden of Eden, they had a very exalted, very expansive view of God. You know, you can imagine. You're in the Garden of Eden, right? This is like in the beginning of the creation of the world. Um, when they left the Garden of Eden, God was much more concealed. And that's this concept of these garments. In other words, it's not just that they got like, you know, like a vest and some slacks, right? It's not it's not like it's not that. The whole world became garmented. The whole world became covered over so that it was much more difficult to perceive God in this world, because God was so to speak covered over. Um, or if you want to think of it a, a, different well, a different way, like a curtain or a veil was put up between this world and the ability to perceive the, the next world, heaven, if you will. So however you want to understand it, God's presence in this world was, was veiled or concealed when we left the Garden of Eden. Makes sense. That's, that's in keeping with, our, with what we knew probably anyway. But you see it in these words is what I'm trying to tell you. The clothing that Hashem gave to Adam and Chava. Okay. But now I'll tell you something much deeper. Listen to this. Another way of understanding it is that these garments that he gave Adam and Chava was their actual physical flesh. That they were actually on some level, on some. this is hard for us to grasp and understand since we weren't there, but on some level they were like creatures of light. And that they, when after the Garden of Eden, when they were exiled from the Garden of Eden, these garments, these leather garments, were talking about their actual flesh that was put on them. Which, again, is a level of concealment of godliness in this world, because now we're talking about our physicality being a barrier to grasping the full extent of God in this world, because it has a, a mind of its own on some level, and it, it has its. Our physicality has its desires, and steers us away, and often blinds us to godliness. Now, I have to understand something, which is that it's there's a pasuk, a verse in Eov in the book of Job, that says, "From my flesh I see God," which means that you see on on on, on another level, because there is this. Um, Barrier to perceiving godliness. We're actually able, on some level, if we're attuned to it and if we work for it, to see God even more in this world because we have a physicality. In other words, in other words, instead of taking godliness for granted, like for if you if you imagine the point of view of, of Malachim of angels, God is openly revealed. They don't have to work for that level of revelation. It's just before them. But if there is something that, that makes us work a little bit more, then our appreciation of godliness when we perceive it is even more exalted and is even more precious to God because we had to work in order to get it. So so this idea, from my flesh I see God, is, is almost a, a thank you to God for allowing us to be able to apply some effort to perceive him, unlike the angels, which gives us great reward and gives Hashem great pleasure that we've been able to, to see His presence in a way where it's not always obvious. Okay. Now we have to understand what this idea of the circumcision is. Now, I saw in the name of the Sfas Emes something very amazing. So now you have to understand, Adam and Chava are leading, leaving the Garden of Eden. And either they themselves are now garbed in flesh, which is a, a veil, which is a barrier, or, and or, the world itself is now garbed in, in a physicality that it didn't really have before. Remember, remember, it says that when, when Hashem told um, Adam to, to name all the various things, name the animals and things like that. You see, like, for instance, a tree... A tree is spelled um, Ayin Tzadi, Eits. You say eights in Hebrew for a tree. So, before Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge and sort of brought down the world into a, a lower level, our mystical tradition is that Hashem created the world with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And what, what and if you want to understand them as energy wavelengths or whatever it is, Adam could perceive in the tree the animating energy of the letter ayin and the letter tsadi, so that he was. How did he name? How did he name things? He read the energies in them, so he read the ayin and the tsadi energy in the tree and said ace. You understand? He could see that clearly. Now, after this concealment takes place all of the world is covered over so that this level is not clear anymore. This is another way of understanding how all of creation was garmented. Okay? Now, now the Emes says that when a bris takes place, something very amazing takes place. You see, what what is a bris? A bris is you're cutting away this extra bit of skin. Now, you have to understand something. When we talk about a bris, we're talking about it in the most popular way, meaning to say um, the, um, the extra flap of skin that a, a, a boy is born with, right? That's, that's how it's commonly known as. But in the Torah, there's another bris that's talked about that applies to men and women, all of humanity, and is a much more substantial bris, the more, much more substantial mila uh, that takes place, which is this layer of skin um, on our hearts, which blocks and closes our hearts. And that um, is true for all of us. And really one of the signs of the redemption of the world and the final fixing of the world will be when all of us get, get this brisk, get this orla off of our hearts and we'll be able to perceive dramatic, Unbelievable things in this world. You see, you have to understand something, which is that the central nervous system is, that's, that's the brain as it interacts with this with the spinal cord. Okay, so let me give you a central nervous system success story. Okay? I hear something outside of my tent. It's a loud roaring sound. <laughs> my brain tells me That loud roaring sound is the sound of a lion. (laughs) There's a lion outside of my tent. (laughs) So what am I going to do? I'm going to stay inside my tent, and as soon as I can, run as far as I can in the other direction. Which means my brain will have to tell my legs to move very, very quickly in the opposite direction. Okay? So that is the brain interacting with the body, A central system success story. Central nervous system, okay? But Rabbi Ari Kaplan says something quite amazing, which is that the central nervous system is also designed to block stimuli. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is for us to understand what the full implications of our heart being circumcised is, okay? We're going to get to that in a moment. So, 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 the way he explains it is, if I were able to see, and some people have this disorder, by the way. I think this is a, actually a documented neurological disorder. Where, and the example that I would think of, or that's given, is when you go, let's say, imagine you're riding the subway in New York, and you, all the faces that you see, right, every single day, going to work, coming home, and everything like that. Now, imagine if you remembered with utter vivid clarity, every single face that you saw on your way to work, and that's just lodged in your head, it would be very hard to proceed. You would have like this information overload. Okay? So so we forget, and it gets blocked out. And that's actually one of the jobs of the central nervous system, is actually to block out stimuli, not just to process stimuli, like there's a lion outside. Right? It's also meant to block out stimuli. Alright, now, with that in mind, that is one of the reasons why we can't perceive angels. Because if we were able to perceive angels, our minds would become deranged. That's what it says. That's what we're taught. So, in other words, there's certain amounts that we're allowed to absorb, and certain amounts that, that are programmed into us to be blocked out, so that we can function in this world. Now, when our hearts become circumcised, basically what what that means is there's a massive quantum leap in the level of perception that we're going to be able to have of the world. In other words, that which will become revealed to us and which we'll be able to process in a normal, healthy way is going to be enormously expanded. You see, so... So these are the implications of the circumcised heart, and why this correlates with the redemption and the fixing of the world. Because this will really be the next evolution of humanity. Now, by the way, just as a halachic side note, women should know, that and men too, that it's, in order for a bris, a circumcision to be kosher, according to the Torah, it has to be done by someone who has a kosher bris. Actually, also, by someone who keeps Shabbos and keeps kosher also. Not just anyone can do a bris. A person has to be a Torah Jew in order to do a kosher bris. And by the way, if you didn't have um, a kosher bris, because there are many people who, unfortunately, don't keep Shabbos or kosher, who perform brises, and um, so so what an adult should do, adult males should try to inquire, whether their circumcision was kosher or not, meaning to say they should find out whether the, the Moyel, the man who did the bris, kept kosher and kept Shabbos. If they didn't, what happens is you have another bris, which is actually not as dramatic or traumatic as, as it might sound at first, but they just take a little pinprick of blood and it's pretty, pretty, um, pretty by the book. I mean, it's, it's not like a, a big deal. Uh, medically speaking, at all. And then you have a kosher bris. So, so I have a friend, actually, who is at Torah in Jerusalem, and this whole group of guys who is basically, uh, you know, kind of new to Torah observance and everything like that, and we're just kind of checking out a class in Jerusalem, and they just heard what I just told you, and there was, like, mass panic that set into the room, you know, like, oh, you know, what's the, what is the status of my bris? Do I need to have this follow-up, you know? So this good friend of mine ran to the phone, called up his mom in Long Island, right, and, and said, um, you know, uh, like, wanted to know about whether, uh, whether, just the details of his bris, whether it was proper, and 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 she said, "Was it proper? Are you serious? It was catered." You know? <laughs> and he's like, "No, no, that's not, that's not what I'm asking." <laughs> and it actually turns out that that it was a, a kosher verse. But anyway, um, so we still have to get to the the, the real point here, which is this this um, awesome teaching from the Sfas Oh, just to complete the halakha, though. In order, for, in order to perform a bris, you have, to, you have to have it done by someone who's had a bris. Right? So, and yet, interestingly, women, according to Torah, are allowed to perform circumcisions. So from that, you understand the following thing, which is that it's not that women don't need a bris, it's that they're counted as already having one. Which is very interesting and correlates with this idea that women, as the Torah views them, are on a spiritually higher level, at least at the outset, than, than men are, because men need this extra step that women are counted as already having from the outset. So that's that's an interesting that's an interesting distinction. Um. Okay. So. So what really takes place when, when this skin is cut away uh, on a man? So the, the Sfasema says the following. That basically, we just said, remember we were talking about these garments of skin that were put on Adam and Chava or on creation afterwards, right? So when a brisk takes place today, when a circumcision takes place today, a hole is cut in this barrier, in this veil, separating our perception of godliness into the world, and more light comes into the world. It's a cutting away of this barrier. And based on that, I'd like to suggest the following thing, which is, that might be why Bris's circumcisions are community celebrations. Because it's not just a private celebration for the little boy and for the family of the boy, But the entire world is benefiting. Because more light is coming into the world. And that's a cause of celebration for everyone. It also says, I just learned, in the name of a big rabbi, whose name I forgot. I'm sorry. But that the little boy, at that moment, receives his full measure of spirituality. And then, he has to go and start earning it. In other words, he gets it and... It comes, but now he's got to earn it. So he gets it, but he doesn't actually get it, but he gets it. In other words, in other words, based on what we've been saying, we can explain perhaps the dynamics of that, which is since this light is coming into the world and everyone benefits because this hole is being punched through this barrier, at the same time though, the little boy is the lightning rod, so to speak, of this light, and it would make sense that he gets a direct blast of this light, which is his own full-on spirituality. But now he's got to spend his life earning it. So so it's not completely dissimilar to this idea that we're taught the Torah in our mother's wombs and then the angel puts his finger over our lips and we forget it and now we have to earn it back. It's a similar kind of dynamic. Now, let me add one more thing which in the context of all this makes a lot of sense. It says that, that Adam was basically, when he was created, didn't have an orla. So he didn't have this extra bit of skin, but that when he was exiled from the Garden of Eden, he got one. He got an orla. So if you think about it, based on what we've been saying, that this, 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 this materiality was added to creation, or this flesh Onto their actual physical bodies. However, we're supposed to learn it. It would make sense that he didn't have it, but when he left the Garden of Eden, he did have an orla. Do you follow? So all that actually makes a lot of sense in the context of all this. All right. Now we can get back to this idea, and you'll see how all these ideas fit in 100% with this idea of Abraham is sitting by the opening of his tent, and he sees angels. Okay, maybe you're already getting it. Um, you see, the idea is, a tent is like clothing. You know, just like your, um, just like your your clothing cover your body. The tent is something that surrounds you, which is also meant to cover over and to block out um, one who would try to view you or your life from the from the outside looking in. So a tent and clothing are are parallel constructs. Do you see that? So one just completely surrounds you. You know, I'll just tell you as an aside, I don't know what to make of this exactly, but uh, uh, my friend Ari was saying in Shum that Beged, because he he heard me mention this thought, and he said, said, Beged is the Gematria 9. Beged means clothing. Begit is nine, right? And Ohel is 36. Ohel means tent. We're going to get into that in a moment. Ohel means tent, that's 36. So he said, so nine times four is 36. Is there anything to that? And I said, well, Abraham's tent was open on all four sides. (laughs) And it was like, whoa! (laughs) So, I don't know. As as my rabbi would say, take it or leave it. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So you've got, But you do have this correlation between clothing and a tent. Both of them are meant to um, obscure um, that which they surround. Okay? To block out. Alright. So, so, now listen to this. You see, the tent, then, represents this world. Our tent is this world. Because if you're standing in this tent, you can't see beyond the walls of the tent. And what we were saying is that when we left the Garden of Eden, a veil, a curtain, was put around us so that we couldn't perceive the heavens, the next world. So in this way, a tent very much parallels this, um, this garment of skin this materiality was put, which was put on the world which stops us from perceiving the infinite so now what does it say Abraham Avinu Abraham our father just had a circumcision and he's sitting at the opening of the tent and he's seeing angels so what did we say that a circumcision is That which cuts away that veil, that curtain. If the tent is that curtain, and the circumcision cuts away the curtain, he's sitting at the opening of his tent, and he's able to perceive angels. Light from the next world. So inside the tent represents this world. Outside the tent represents the next world. The gematria of the word Ohel is 36. That's 18 plus 18. 18 is the gematria of the word life, Chai. So the inside the tent is life in this world, Olama And outside the tent, it's the next world, Olama Ba. So he's got this hole punched in his tent at the time of his circumcision, and he's perceiving into the next world and seeing angels. Right? So, so, you know, I was joking with some of the that, that you know, every once in a while, people tell me that they see angels, you know? And I, I can't tell you how unimpressed I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, my, my reaction really is, so what? You know? I mean, either they're crazy, which is a large percentage of the case, or they see, so, what are you doing about it? Like, like yeah, and? You know, it's... Angels exist, so you see them. So what? You know, it do, it doesn't seem to be a very meaningful thing to me. The, the thing is, what are you doing about it? So, Avram Avinu runs to give them hospitality. That's the awesome thing. He actually does this great act. Now, let's keep track, because there are a lot of openings going on, and I want to... Just track them for you, because they're, they're more ahead, okay? So basically, the first opening takes place with the, with the circumcision. And that allows more light to come into this world, and that allows us to, to perceive something greater, because we're able to actually transcend our physicality and the limits that are imposed upon us by it. So by cutting away that level of physicality, we can perceive spirituality. That's the opening of the tent. So first comes the opening that goes on Abraham's flesh. That creates another opening through which he's able to perceive past and through materiality and he's able to see into the spiritual world. Right? He's able to see angels. Then what happens is Something much greater. Which is the opening that takes place by him circumcising his own heart. You see, Avram Avinu had every single excuse not to offer hospitality at that moment. He's at the entrance of his tent. It says, the Torah itself says, it was a burning hot day, and we're going to go into that detail in a moment. The Medrash really picks up on this opening and this burning hotness, but we'll save that for a moment. It's a burning hot day, He's 99 or 100, for goodness sakes. It's the third day of a bris that he performed on himself, which the rabbis say is the most intense pain on the third day. He's got a lot of reasons not to go and to do the mitzvah of hospitality. Right? But what does he do? He circumcises his heart. He doesn't allow any of these things to stop him from doing the right thing he he maintains his open heart right or if he doesn't circumcise his heart at least he doesn't allow it to close which is an act of circumcision in and of itself so either way he maintains this open heart and of course he does hospitality for for these people who appear to him as idol worshipping arabs but they turn out to be angels. Now listen to this. So another incredible opening comes from this. Which is that a calf that he wants to feed them runs away. And he chases that calf and he goes to the entrance of Moras Hamach also known as the Cave of the Patriarchs. And he sees this exalted light shining through and the Zohar says that Moras Hamach this cave where Adam and Chava and later on, Abram and Sarah and the other fathers and mothers are buried, is the entrance to the Garden of Eden. So that's another opening that takes place. So, in other words, he opens himself up through the Brismila to be able to transcend his own physicality, which allows him to see an opening up into this world, which allows him to see angels, which allows him to go and to find the entrance, the opening, into the next world itself, back to the Garden of Eden. An opening leading to an opening, leading to an opening, leading to an opening. That's that's what the sages teach, that one mitzvah leads to another. Now there's another opening that the medrash comments on. Now listen to this. It says that Avraham Avinu is sitting at the opening of his tent in the heat of the day. From this the rabbis learn out, that Abraham sits at the opening of the gates of Gehenna. The heat of the day is a hint at the fires of Gehenna. The fires of hell. Loosely translated. So let's explain. And he's helping out. Abraham is helping out all the guys there who have bris milas, (laughs) All these circumcised guys who kind of, I don't know, just kind of, need an an extra helping hand at that moment. You should know a lot of people wrongly, I mean, they they can't get it more wrong than this, wrongly think that Jews don't believe in an afterlife. I mean, believe it or not, this is a widespread misunderstanding of Judaism. It confounds me. It actually confounds me. Because it's it's such a basic. Um, and they also say that Judaism doesn't believe in hell. The idea of hell as an eternal place of fire, that, that's not really our, our understanding of it. We understand it, you see, everyone has to always keep in mind the cosmic map. What, what, we're, what we tend to think of is, heaven is above, earth is in the middle, hell is below. Right? That's what people think. That's not the Torah understanding. It's heaven is above, Underneath that is Gehenim. Underneath that is Earth. Okay, and if you want to see this with your own eyes, it's at, um, it's at the end of Masech Tamid. And it tells you that Gehenim is above the Rekia there. You'll see it. It's, it's one of these amazing Gomorrahs, because it's one line. One line on a page with about, I don't know, 60 lines. Right? And if you read one page a day, that's just half a page. That's one side of a page. If you read a page a day, it takes you seven years to get through the Gomorrah, right? So this is half a page. So that would, if you do half a page, it would take you 14 years to get through the Gomorrah, right? And one line on one half a page, it tells you that Gehenna is above the Rakiah. what I just told you. Like, Can you imagine what's in the Gomorrah? That's one, it's one line and then it goes on to something else. I mean... Yeah. To say that the Gomorrah is dense would be an understatement, right? I mean, it's like, there's quite a bit packed in there, you know? Um, so so anyway, everyone, remember, so so working, we've got earth, and then above earth is Gehenim, and then above that is heaven. So everyone zips through Gehenim on the way to Shemayim, heaven. Everyone has to go through this area. Now the tzaddikim, the righteous ones among us, zip through. Those of us who have more soul cleaning, because it's basically a soul cleaning, spend longer in Gehenim. So Abraham Avinu is there helping out people. Now I just want to say one more word about Gehenim. Um, so we're shown I'm going to put it in modern terms, but, because I'm going to use the word movie, but, but we're shown a vision of the, the life that we led, and then we're shown a vision of the life that we could have led. And this is already an ancient thought in terms of our understanding. To the extent that they hook up, that's bliss. To the extent that they don't hook up, that's Gehenna. That, it's like, that's the fire. That's, that's our feeling like, I, I could have done that, and I could have done that, and I could have done that, and I didn't do any of these things. And we experience intense shame and regret. And when we talk about hellfire, if you will, that's what hellfire is. That's the way Rabbi Kaplan it, explains it. That's what the hellfire is, that burning sense of shame and regret that we, didn't, that we didn't conform with what that could have been. Now, I want to explain that further. And I believe that this is what it's saying, but I'm just telling you that these are my words just in case, okay? You see, if I'm watching the movie of my life, I don't think that it's just going, okay, you could have said a, a better Brukha there, and you, you didn't say a brucha at all, Or you said a brook and you didn't have any kavana, you didn't concentrate at all. All Alright, now on to the next moment. Um, There was an opportunity to give that person sadaqah and you just walked by him. Alright, so I'm sure that, I'm sure there are going to be examples of things like that. But, but I think it's, I think what it's talking about is deeper than that. I think it's talking about something much more much more impactful, which is that my life could have gone in a different direction. It's not just that I could have done that mitzvah better, and I could have avoided that avera. It's that my life could have gone into a different direction. You see, one of the things that I heard that a person has to do tshuva over, has to, you know, fix basically, is missed opportunities. You see, opportunities in life, they don't always come in the See, like, a friend just invited me to Wyoming, right? So, is it a mitzvah for me to go? I don't know if it's a mitzvah for me to go to Wyoming. Is it an avera for me not to go to Wyoming? I don't know that it's an avera for me not to go to Wyoming, right? And yet, what happens to me if I go? Maybe a whole other opportunity in my life opens up. And maybe that leads to something else. Someone invites you to a party. Is it a mitzvah for you to go to that party? I'm sure you could construct a a scenario where it is. But let's say it's just a normal kind of party. Probably not. It's probably not a mitzvah for you to go. Is it an Aveira for you not to go to the party? Probably not. Right? But who might you meet at that party? And what might, might that lead to? a whole other direction in terms of your life. Right? So one of the things that we have to do tshuva over is missed opportunities. Because these opportunities are really what our life can shape. You see, just I want to make sure that we're communicating. I'm trying to put ourselves in Gehenna. Well, I'm not trying to put us in Gehenna, but <laughs> everyone goes through, even if we zip through. So, So we're all going to be there for... You know, hopefully a, a, just a fraction of a moment, right? But while we're there, what are we going to see of our life, is what I'm trying to say. And, and we might be able to make the argument to, before the heavenly court, Hashem, show me in the Shulchan Aruch where it was a mitzvah for me to attend that party. Show me in the Shulchan Aruch. And it's true, we might win that argument, you know, successfully defend it. Charge dismissed. You know, so technically speaking, but look at, but God is clearly showing you what your life could have been had you gone. Right? So we have to be mindful of opportunities that are presented us in our life. And we have to really think them through. Because God doesn't always explain to us like what comes attached with that hello. Right? Sometimes it's sort of like, Can you imagine? It's like, you know, you're fishing, right? Sometimes you pull in a boot, right? And sometimes you pull in a whale. You know, I... I'll tell you something. I... Many years ago, I I went to a shul, a shalashutas. And um, I saw a guy kind of with long hair, and he was kind of standing by himself. And, you know, I like... I like people like that <laughs> so i I walked up to him and I started talking to him, and then we sat together and I explained to him some things about the torah and I'm telling you, after that conversation, this guy was a hundred percent from he was a hundred percent torah observant after a pretty short conversation about. Something I mean, obviously he was had already arrived at that place, you know i 'm not saying I did it. he did it, but nonetheless he didn't have that particular information, so he heard it he 's from his sister's from his brother who had been intermarried is from <laughs> one or two of them live in Israel. they all have kids I mean from a hello from a hello do we have any concept sometimes you meet someone and what's attached to that person is, is, is the redemption itself God doesn't tell us that part he doesn't tell us what's behind every person what's behind every interaction that part we don't know but these are the opportunities. These are the opportunities that we have to be really focused on. You know, Rabbi Tatz gives a, a, a mushal, an example. He says, all right, right, you're imagine you're driving from one side of the country to the other side of the country. Okay? And, um, you know, you've got this load to deliver. Uh, and... Um, so you have to follow this very detailed map to make sure that you arrive at the right place and you have to obey all the traffic laws and everything like that. And you get to that place and then you come back and you say to the person, I did it, I, I did it exactly, I, I traveled the, the route exactly as I was supposed to and I, and I didn't violate any of the laws of the land or anything like that. And, and the person says, that's fantastic, that's so great. And did you, did you deliver the package that you were supposed to deliver? And he goes, oh! Right? So he made, he made the whole trip. He kept all the laws, but he didn't deliver the package. Right? So, so the irony, Rabbi Tatzel saying, the irony with us in our own life, you know, sometimes we learn about... The the Torah and and all the various mitzvahs and everything like that. But God has given each one of us something very special to deliver to the world. And we have to make sure that that we don't lose sight of that. And that's what I'm saying are the opportunities. We have to be mindful of the opportunities because those are the vehicles for us to be able to deliver what we need to deliver to the world. You know? Okay. So we have to... We have to keep on going. So, so, so Abraham Avinu, Abraham Avinu is making openings. He's making openings. And, uh, I want to, I want to talk about Sarah for a moment. Sarah is, is really Incredible. You see, her name is Sarai originally. And then it becomes Sarah, And it's spelled um, Shin Resh Yud. That's her original name, Sarai. And then Hashem changes that Yud into a He. And then she's able to have babies. So Sarai becomes Sara. The Yud gets turned into a He. So I was thinking about this. And of course, Avraham Avinu also gets a hay, but it's a little bit different. A hay is added to his name Sarai, her yud is turned into a hay, so she has the same number of letters abraham the hay is added to from Abram to abraham now now he but they both get hays okay now this is really to me this is fascinating these are this is kind of just based on some things I was thinking about so you know, the Yud is a very high letter in the Torah. It really represents this exalted point of light. Okay? And um, you, you can understand it. We're always talking about the name of Hashem, the Yud and He and Vav and He. And I always tell you to picture it with mm-hmm. the Yud on top and going down and the bottom He stands for this world, all the Rebis say. That He is Machios, that's, that's this world. And that, that Yud is this point of light. And He is also a vessel, you have to understand. So, so you have this, ex, this amazing point of light and these two He's which hold these points of light. Okay, Because you need two vessels to hold such an exalted light, the light of God. So, so what's so interesting is that um, Sar- Sarai... She has this yud; it gets changed into a hay. What do we just say that the yud is this like godly point of light? And she can't have kids, right? In fact, it says she didn't even have a womb. All right, that's that's more than just like having issues with conception. That's that's a major issue. No womb is a major conception. You know, that's it's a big deal. Mm. She was like an angel. She was like an angel. This is how I want to describe it. And in fact, in fact, um, you have this conversation, the, the three visitors to Abraham who were angels, they, they say something, if you look at the language, it's so interesting. They say, Aye. Aye is a big word. I don't know if you know this word. Rabbi Nachman has a whole mimer on this word, Aye. Aye means where. But it's, it's in the Kedusha. When we, when we talk about how the angels talk to them, to each other, they say to each other, aye, where is the place of Hashem's glory? This is the language of angels. And they say to Abraham, these three angels say to Abraham, aye, they use this word, aleph, yud, hey, aye, where is your wife Sarah? Okay, so, so they're, they're speaking in angel talk about someone who has this like angelic level. So what does Hashem do? He changes that Yud, this most exalted, like, heavenly letter, and He changes it into a He. A He stands for this world. He gives her a womb. He gives her a place. He grounds her into this world. You see, I've done a very informal study about name changes in the Torah and there might be an exception that you can find but i've looked at the the big obvious names okay and it may be true for all of them i, I hope it is but anyway it's very interesting to note that every time a name gets changed in the torah the gematria of that name the numerical value of that name increases abraham being a very direct simple example because he gets a letter added okay usually people get a letter added and that increases Sarai, the gematria of the letter Yud is ten. It gets changed to a He, which is five. It's the only example that I'm aware of where the the name change actually brings the person down, so to speak. It It grounds her. You know? So, and I want to show you this on an even deeper level right now. We have, and we've discussed it many times, Two very key words in the Torah. Vayahi and vahaya. Vayahi, the Gomorrah says, portends something bad. Something negative is going to happen. Alright? Vayahi. Vahaya means something good is going to happen. Did I say that a moment ago? Vayahi, something negative is going to happen. Vahaya, something positive is going to happen. Right? This is the Gomorrah. Now, if you look at these two words, Vayahi and vahaya, they all are composed exclusively of the names of, Ash- of, of the letters of the name of the Yud Kei Vav ke, of Hashem. Vayahi is Vav Yud hey, Yud. Okay, so that's the letters of Hashem's name: Vav and Yud and Hey. Right, like the Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey. Okay, so and Vahaya also is is Vav Hey Yud and Hey. Okay, now that's pretend something good. Now what's the difference between those two words? Vayahi has two yuds in it, and only one hey. And that stands for something negative about to happen. Alright, now let's look more carefully into that. We said that hey stands for a vessel for the light. But vayahi, which pretends something negative, there are two yuds, meaning a double blast of this super exalted light, and only one hay to hold the light. So with this in mind, we can understand on a very sort of spiritual level the fact that everything that happens is good. So vayahi stands for something bad that's going to happen, right? But we see, why is it bad? Because there's no vessels to hold the light. In other words, it's not that God is bad, or that the act is inherently bad. It's that... That situation, those people don't have vessels to hold that light. If they did, the situation would be a completely different situation. Okay. And it wouldn't appear, it wouldn't even be the situation that we imagine to be the bad situation. It would be a completely different situation from the outset, because there would have been vessels to hold the light to begin with. So it wouldn't even... We can't pick a bad situation and go, well, how could that have been a good situation? It would have never manifested itself as that bad situation to begin with. Alright. So, but Vahaya is Vav and He and Yud and He. That means something good is going to happen. That's the exact combination, the exact letters of the name of Hashem. Which means we have the exact correlation of the amount of vessels that we need to hold the light okay and that's the that's the happy scenario now listen to this listen to this so Vayahi, vaihi has what's the difference between Vayahi and vahaya between something bad is going to happen and something good is going to happen there's an extra yud in Vayahi, right where we would need a hay what happens with sarah's name the yud gets turned into a hay Here we see the transformation from vayahi to vahaya. Because that yud of vayahi, that extra yud, that extra point of light, that extra super exaltedness turns into a vessel to hold the light that's there. And now all of a sudden she has a womb. Now all of a sudden she's able to give birth. Now all of a sudden her spiritual DNA is such that she becomes a mother. Right? Now listen to this. Another thought. Something I noticed a while ago. Look at the word Yisrael. And it would help to have it in front of you. But Yisrael, if you rearrange the letters, it spells Sarai Lo. Exactly. It spells exactly Sarai Lo. Meaning Sarai is not going to have children. (laughs) Right? Sarai is not going to have children. But the Jewish people are above Mazel. Right? And Sarah is going to have children. And she becomes the mother of Israel. You see the entire history of the Jewish people, of the birthing of the Jewish people, contained in the word Israel. Um, all right, so let's let's wrap it up. It's my birthday, by the way, uh, and it's actually Reb Shlomo's yurt site. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize that those two things went together there. Okay, that's nice. The sixteenth of Heshvan. The sixteenth of Heshvan, yeah, wow. yeah, and uh, so that's nice. Um, so. So, the, the way that we make openings, the way that we make openings, right, is basically to open up our hearts. And when you open up your heart, you can make openings not just between two people, but between two different worlds. Right? And each one of us, each person, the Talmud says, is like a world. So, when you're making an opening between two people, you really are making openings between different worlds. You know? And, uh, And you never know what comes attached to to a hello and to the smallest act of kindness. You never know what comes attached to that. And uh, let's just try to be really mindful of when we're closing our hearts. You know, because the first step to any real positive change in our own lives is insight. And the heart is a muscle. You know, it says that if you have $100, what's better, to give someone $100 or to give 100 people $1? So the Rambam brings down that it's better to give 100 people $1. And the reason is because you exercise that giving muscle, that heart muscle. And if you keep on giving, keep on giving, then you condition yourself to keep your heart open at all times. And then from that you can then give someone else a hundred dollars, you know. But first you have to, first you have to work on yourself to keep your heart open. So let's all be in tune with where where we're at, so that we can see that great opening of our hearts, so that we can see that ultimate perception of Hashem and His goodliness um, in this world. Okay. Mm-hmm.